Empire. Tech is growing up, literally. I mean, it's really fun to see a, a, a 19-year-old managing 100 of his peers or 150 of his peers, where if somebody came in with alcohol on their breath, they were out immediately. Yeah. If someone picked up their mobile phone, they were out immediately. And, you know, the confidence and the mentoring and everything we saw out of the young folks as, as supervisors and managers, it was great. That's Dave Abbott, Senior Vice President of Product Innovation and Technology at Sport Radar, explaining that no longer are stats being collected around the beer pong table. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. Let's relive the glory days and the massive expansion of stats and information which Sport Radar is at the forefront of with Dave Abbott and what we are doing with all this information and potential content created out of it. And that's where Amit Golan and his company Minute will help maximize engagement. But before we can get to what you will do with your stats, let's start with Dave Abbott, who's part of reinventing that information age which in the business of fandom isn't exactly a new idea. Our guest this week is Dave Abbott. He's the Senior Vice President of Product Innovation and Technology at Sport Radar, which specializes in the collection and dissemination of sports data worldwide. Hey, Dave, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Great to be here. Uh, nice to have you here. Um, you started your own group um, in Minnesota a few years back, Sports Data, which was acquired yep. here by Sport Radar. So can you kind of tell me about your background and, and how you got into this field? Sure. Uh, my first startup, you know, way, way back um, in the early 2000s was uh, we did websites for TV stations and local media properties all around the country. And we grew it pretty large and we ended up doing the NBC owned and operated stations, which kind of uh, was a foyer into working with the Olympics. So NBC had outsourced their Olympics back in Athens and Turin uh, to us. And that was really my first kind of Fourier into really dealing with a lot of structured um, sports data. And, you know, through the TV stations, I had also been collecting a lot of uh, sports data for, you know, all the various outlets. And, I, you know, I started to form some opinions about how I liked my data and didn't. Um, and then fast forward, uh, my before starting sports data, a uh, company is um, a lot of streaming OTT in Central Europe. Um, same thing. I really started to form some strong opinions about how I like to receive my sports data, what you know, how I wanted to deal with my vendors, um, you know, what I expected to pay, what I wanted my support to be like. And um, must have been about almost nine years ago now. Um, a guy in Minneapolis here, uh, Rob Fithian, he started Fanball.com, kind of one of the original fantasy football um, sites. We got to talking over beers, and I was like, man, you know, there's got to be a better way to skin the cat here um, and just treat people how we want to be treated. So we had this crazy idea to um, pay college students to watch sporting events and use our software, enter the data, and then sell the data. It was really, really as simple as that. I knew that um, using, you know, cloud technologies that we could bring the cost of collection way down, um, 
we really thought our college kids were going to be our biggest detriment, but they turned out to be by far our biggest asset um, because they could process so much information so quickly and so accurately. Uh, and before we knew it, we had 300 customers and we were rolling fast. So in about that's about the time that Sport Radar found us and acquired us. Now it would have been about five years ago. What were the college students doing? They were just watching the games and collecting. Like, what were they collecting? So um, they were watching pretty much just the U.S. sports, right? So the four professional plus NASCAR plus golf plus college. Um, and what we would do is we would – most of the, the students that we were using, and they weren't all students, but it's about 90 95%. Um, they were, they had played the sport, they knew, and we gave aptitude tests to make sure that they really understood the space. Um, but, and then we gave them some training, right? So, um, good example, remember how Brett Favre would get back in the pocket and those big man hands as the ball would fall out the back of his hand? Well, it turns out that's an aborted pass and not a fumble, and that's scored differently. So we would just go through a lot of those scenarios teach the kids how to, or students how to, uh, to deal with all those special scenarios. Um, yeah. And then used our software and they collected the data and then we derived a whole bunch of stats from that. And you said, you thought, and, and the minute you said we used a bunch of college students, I went, uh, how in the world did you trust a bunch of college students to help you build a business? Like, uh, that's insane to even think that that would be, that that would work out, but I guess it did. It did, you know, and, and again, you know, uh, the, the, the things that really surprised us. Uh, well, number one, we were on we were on campus at a you know, higher end Division three school, so I think they did they separated the wheat from the chaff, so to speak, with regards to we had a great labor pool right on campus. Um, you know, the next thing was, you know, I think their gaming backgrounds and everything just gave them an aptitude to see something at a blink and to be able to get it off their fingers and um, and into uh, our software to be able to, to collect it. Um, and then we took a model, you know, more of a centralized model of make, making sure that you show up, um, we know where you're going to sit, uh, kind of a cascading validation strategy, making sure that every step along the way there was always a safety net, right? So we had created a pretty elaborate process around that uh, to make sure that we could maintain our quality, maintain our completeness and stuff like that. And then, you know, again, you know, the things that just happen. Some of our best product people grew out of our college students. So our top sales guys were college students at the time when we did, when we started up, and we have supervisors and and such that have all kind of grown out of that same environment. I mean, it's really fun to see a a 19-year-old managing 100 of his peers or 150 of his peers, where if somebody came in with alcohol on their breath, they were out immediately. Yeah. If someone picked up their mobile phone, they were out immediately. And you know the confidence. And the mentoring and everything we saw out of the young folks as, as supervisors and managers was great. What were you looking for in sports information that wasn't already out there? We looked at it really two ways. We knew that there was a core um, that was on the road to becoming commoditized, honestly. Um, you know, our, our, our major competitor back then and, and still, you know, um, Stats Inc., um, they really had a, a stranglehold on the market. And um, the, the barrier to entry was high. And back then, you know, right when we got started, that's when fan, uh, daily fantasy was just going crazy. So we had just tons of daily fantasy customers. And 
you know, as that kind of initial foyer into the market, it, it you don't have that many data points that you're really truly using to score from a DFS perspective. Um, so it was a, yeah, it was a, you know, a media data set that we're all accustomed to pulling out of the, uh, reading the newspaper or you read on, you know, any of the, the sports.coms. Um, but it was a, a little bit more of a narrow set, certainly for the meat and potatoes of our, our customers back then. You know, as, as time went on and we started picking up some of the larger broadcast customers and really truly expanded from being just a data provider to supporting a storyteller, right? Anybody who's authoring content about sports. Um, then we had to really start branching out and collecting a broader set of data and providing more services to support that kind of a deal. Yeah, because I, I worked at ESPN for seven years. I've been hmm. a broadcaster for a quarter century. We relied, obviously, yep. on, statist on statistics. And we used yep. groups like Elias, you know, had been around. Of course, they had their own statistical, you know, group and research group that was there. So it is curious mm -hmm. that you guys were able to kind of change a model here because it was already kind of there, and the people who were trying to at least put this into broadcasts every single day were always demanding more out of them, but they seemingly got it. Well, you know, it, it's funny. The, the story, that's maybe not even the right word to, to use, but when you look at the storytellers, right, the people who are the best at it in the world, you know, the ESPNs, the Foxes, um, the, the, what we heard from the marketplace was that we're happy with what we're getting, but you know what? We can see where the market's going, and we don't feel like we're getting there fast enough. Uh, so we were able to kind of, you know, pivot our technology uh, so that we could take take some of those things that were going to be that we saw perceived as being different looking forward in the marketplace, uh, and then integrating that into our, our our data set, into our storytelling, into our, our supporting tools, right? Um, because, you know, as you look at the broadcasters today, um, and, and, you know, if you look at regional broadcasters included in that, everybody has such a unique editorial voice, right? When you listen to Buck and Aikman, they make it seem, seem easy and natural. And their voice is very different than what I'm going to hear on, on CBS with Fouts or somebody like that. Different voice. I love it. But, but very different. The personalities of the crews are going to be different. When you're listening to a, a broadcast, uh, a regional broadcast, say, of, of, from the Yankees, right? Lots of information, lots of content. The storylines are they're going to skew looking back in the past a little bit more. Whereas when you come to someplace like here in Minneapolis, uh, the Twins, we don't have any ancient history. I mean, we've got 87 and 91, and we're, you know, having a great year this year. Um, but it's a very different storytelling process, you know, whatever. So what we want to do is we want to be able to provide the broadcasters notes and in-game facts and, and information that really kind of speaks to their voice in the moment, which is going to be different from broadcaster to broadcaster. So, you know, whether it's, you know, taking advantage of some of the chip tracking data and some of the more heady type stuff, uh, and, and bringing that into the, the, the story, or whether it's actually looking at a little bit more of a rich historical perspective about the game. Um, you know, we want to be able to personalize our, our content uh, to the different broadcasters that way. 
And that's where, you know, I saw the opportunity was in storytelling, in differentiation, moving beyond the commodity part of the data, which, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, it's, it's everywhere. Everybody's got it. Um, we, have to make, we have to make our dinner taste a little bit better and make it a little bit easier to get at. And you're also telling me we're, we're 60 years away from Kirby Puckett being Babe Ruth. That's, that's, how, that's how long we have to go to get him into that kind of stratosphere? Yeah, yeah, probably 60. 60 away. Um, Can you be a little specific about where this is implemented in broadcasts and and how do you work with the networks to enhance their presentation? Sure. Um, So, I mean, one of our largest customers currently is uh, Fox. And the RSNs have been um, sold, and obviously they've moved into the Sinclair world. uh, And uh, the mothership Fox is is, uh, kind of going a different path as well. But I think that's probably the best the best example, and that's where, you know, the storytelling from every market is a little different, right? Um, and you look at Big Ten Network and in college and the storylines they want to tell, a lot different. Um, so, listening, being part of the uh, the process of you know, like if using an NFL game as an example, if it's a Sunday game, getting the notes out on Wednesday, making sure that uh, the notes actually match up with that voice of the broadcast, right? When you, after working with, you know, Joe Buck or or like I'm Aikman to stay with the other example, we know the storylines they like. I mean, both of those guys are uncommonly smart and uh, we we know the the types of of storylines that they're gonna like. So we really try to make those as usable as possible. So as part of their workflow, they're going to have their uh, uh, meeting on Wednesday, and they're going to talk about it all. And then they're going to come back to us on Thursday and Friday looking for uh, more depth on those storylines. And we're going to do our best to to try to morph and and bring those storylines around to something that's really going to enhance their, their editorial voice. What are the broadcast partners asking for now that, that they believe isn't being provided yet? Uh, you know, I think a lot of bringing more meaning and context to the uh, player tracking as they have rights, I think that's probably one of the big things because, you know, you say, you know, so-and-so hit 23 miles per hour. It's like, well, great. What does that mean? It has to be included in a, in a, a bigger context, right? You know, it was a a punt return, it was a pass over 30 yards, a fly route, whatever it happened to be, There's there was something there that made that unique in that situation. And that's what you have to do is set the table with it. So the, the, the chip tracking along with setting the table with that information, I think that was important. Um, and then today now also, you know, the storytelling around, around betting as it's becoming legal in individual markets, um, that that's a very unique part of the broadcast as well, because we have to be educated as consumers. Americans aren't, you know, when you look at the meat and potatoes of America, uh, we're not betters. Um, As a fantasy player, do I look and see what the lines are? Well, of course, because if I see there's going to be some junk yards in the second half, maybe I'll start that quarterback or that receiver or whatever. Uh, But I've never actually done it. I don't know how the mechanics work. Um, So, there's very much a an educational um, set of content that's going to go around trying to bring the users into the fold. Now, a lot of broadcasters, 
especially the nationals, are going to be a little slower to adopt it until we see the regulation change all around the country. So that's going to be one of those things that we're going to learn together with our broadcasters, providing them the information, the background information, keeping it simple, um, current, relevant, uh, and helping them understand, you know, pregame betting, in-game betting. Um, yeah, I mean, really, it, it's going to be a journey. And as we've all been trained so well by you know, when we watch a major broadcast and the story just, it just, it's like, water washing over us, right? And it's just, it's easy, it's effortless, and you just enjoy it. And the, the, the thing that makes you realize that is when you listen to a, a, a college football game that is not professionally produced, and it's kind of herky-jerky, and it doesn't seem natural, and you're like, wait, what? That's how you, you can realize how wonderful a job an ESPN does with it, right, or a Fox or whomever. Um, so being able to maintain that continuity, relevance, and such, I think, with the betting. Those are probably the two biggest things I see. Um, is Sport Radar interested in becoming a betting platform? So, Sport Radar, I mean, we're actually one of the, we are the largest uh, betting data provider globally. Um, we service, you know, numerous customers and partners. Um, we're not a book, we're an information provider. We provide odds, we provide data. Uh, we have managed trading services that some of our, our customers will use. Um, so, and integrity services. I mean, there's, there's, you know, the complete solution around it, actually. Uh, and that's, that's really what Sport Radar is about outside of the U.S. or was about outside the U.S. And now, obviously, with all of that experience globally moving into the U.S., um, because it's just it's another market. It's a very similar service, obviously, as as we roll it out. How about teams and leagues? Like, what what are they doing with your information? How are you working with them? So, when we work with the uh, with the league directly, you know, the NFL and MLB and NBA and NHL and the NASCAR. Um, so we receive the data from them. Typically, and you know, every arrangement, every agreement's a little different. Typically, the leagues get rights to their, or the, pardon me, the individual clubs or teams within a league get rights to their own data. Um, so, generally speaking, we're not selling any of the teams' data. Um, we work with the player associations and stuff like that that are kind of on the periphery. Um, with some leagues, we provide them tooling. You know, the NFL, for instance, we provide them. Um, research support and a research tool that supports the NFL network. Um, Radar360 um, is the name of it. And we also provide that same tool to all of the teams as well. Um, tip, most, most often um, you'll see the coaching staff using it for research for upcoming games and such, as well as a lot of use by the marketing department with regards to, you know, getting fun, uh, interesting facts and, and uh, stats out you know, in their social streams and such as they're generating interest for an upcoming game. All right, I'll leave you with this. Um, this is kind of just an overarching question, but is there anything left to the imagination or do we know everything now? Oh, there's so much. I mean, you know, again, I, I'm i not an athlete. I have a tremendous appreciation for it. I'm not a coach. I, I, now that, you know, you look at the internals of how amazing these these coaches' minds are and there's nothing routine about a, a, a ground ball, a shortstop to first base, and, you know, the, the whole money ball aspect of it. Uh, I, I think we're just really 
at the beginning. Um, the the storylines that we're starting to see come out of, you know, the data coming out of off the chip tracking in the NFL, you know, and being able to like, relate that data. How effective is Tom Brady in the pocket after one second, two second, three second, on a pass, you know, 10, 20, 30 yards away? Um, some of the matchup information. Um, obviously, you know, Moneyball is the stereotypical example you hear in baseball, but that's going to a whole new level uh, with StatCast. With the NBA player tracking, watching how the defenses respond so quickly um, when you're starting to see, you know, a lane open up or whatever, it, it, it just it's fascinating. Um, so I think we're really at the beginning of that journey. And, you know, I also as, I, as, as sports betting really starts to grab hold over the next several years, look at what fantasy football did for us, right? You know, the the level of engagement we have with the NFL, you know, I'll say for me personally, I, I, I'm probably the only person that plays na uh, fantasy NASCAR uh, this far north in the United States. But, you know, I love it. And with all the information I, uh, that's available now there, it's fantastic. The same thing with the NFL as a fantasy player. There's so much information there. doesn't matter if you're listening to Sirius XM or, or you're picking it off, you know, the web or whatever. There's so many people talking about fantasy. It drives engagement, which is good for the league. It's good for the whole ecosystem. That's what betting's going to do. It's going to drive, you know, another vein of revenue, another vein of interest across all the different leagues. Uh, that's a completely different style of engagement. A very, in my mind, a very complementary um, avenue for engagement. So I think the tide's going to go up everywhere. I think we're going to learn as, as betters. We're going to learn as fantasy players. Um, and I think we're going to have a hell of a lot more fun as fans um, when we just get that little more engagement. I mean, I loved watching the Vikings as a kid, but then when I started playing fantasy and I could watch the Vikings and beat my friends, <laughs> eh, that was kind of fun. And now it's like, oh, I can watch the Vikings and I can beat my friends and I can make a little money at it. Hey, now I got the triple crown going. So, um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm obviously really excited about it. I think we're just at the beginning. Dave Abbott is the SVP of Product, Innovation, and Technology at SportRadar. Thank you so much, Dave. Yeah, thank you. Coming up, Amit Golan, CEO of Minute, who is helping shape engagement and immediacy in the content space. This is the Future Sport Podcast. Our guest this week is Amit Golan, who is the CEO and co-founder of Minute, which is a video technology company that strives to increase engagement with sports fans. Hi, Amit. How are you? Very good. What's up? Uh, tell us what Minute does. Um, in essence, we help publishers, content creators, people who produce good quality videos to have a positive ROI and return of investment on their videos. So uh, I want to get into it. You don't hear a lot of people talk about the revenue part uh, of this, that oftentimes you hear about the creation of these videos to help engagement. W when you talk about revenue and the return on investment, can you kind of be specific about what you mean? 
Yes, of course. So people who are creating um, good content are obviously looking for engagement. Engagement will eventually will help them to drive more, you know, um, uh, revenue from all kinds of options. Uh, but eventually, if we will drive engagement, then they will be able to drive more users, more retention, and everything you can count eventually with revenue. Um, so we're skipping the way we say that we're increasing engagement, because obviously we do. That's the mission. But we will help them to get a positive ROI for their video content. So is that in the form of branded content? Uh, how do they go about increasing their revenues? It's not necessarily branded content. Um, the way they they make money of their content is their own business. Um, we we help them to drive engagement. Um, the engagement will come from a good content that we will help them to boost the engagement on that piece of content with all kinds of different products that we're generating. And then eventually they will make more money. Um, how they make money, they have all kinds of options and ways. But if retention is something that they're counting, this is one thing, and we will help with that. If um, more clicks to watch the video is something that helps them to drive more engagement and revenue, that's something that we can do. Um, but obviously, we will increase the engagement, and by increasing the engagement, they will be able to do more from their side. Um, we count it on the KPI side, the key performance indicator that they're looking for, we will help them to boost that. And and how do you go about doing it, without giving any proprietary information out, how do you go about doing that? What we do is um, the technology that stands behind Minute is video analysis on real time, and we extract the peak moments of each and every video that they're producing, and once we pick those interesting moments, we can do all kinds of things. On the first product, which we named APV, which stands for Auto Preview Video, we will automatically identify the highlights or what are the most interesting moments within each video. And then from each highlight, we can generate an amazing preview. So if we have today trailers for movies, Minute generates teasers for videos between five to seven seconds teaser that will be placed wherever they want on their site to drive more engagement or outside of their website to drive more traffic that will come to consume the content on their platforms. So with the same content that they have today, they increase the uh, engagement and the CTR to watch the video. For example, there's an amazing, you know, a lot of content on their page, um, on their homepage, and there's a lot of content, and there's um, some of the content are text articles, and some of them are videos. Minutes will create those teasers to the most performing or the most interesting videos that they have, and then the teaser will increase the preview that we've actually created once the user will see the content on the page, you might see, for example, an amazing uh, run by um, um, Cristiano Ronaldo, and then you'll see him kicking the ball, 
which might be an amazing action, but then we don't show how the scene ends. So it's a great preview. And if you click on the teaser that we've created, you'll be redirected to the full version of that video. And then users can actually expose to an interesting content and to see the full version of that video. For the, for the publisher, for the one who have created the content, they actually enjoy of more video consumption. And for the user, he will see a preview of an interesting video, and then he can decide if he actually wants to see the video or not. So it's a win-win for all the parties here. Um, there's a couple That's things. the first product that we do. Um, I want to talk about a couple of the aspects of what you just spoke about. And one is the length, which, which I noticed as you go through a minute and you see the products that are being created here, that they are five to seven seconds, which feels like nothing initially, but now does actually feel like a substantial amount of time. Um, how do you kind of square how quickly technology has changed our outlook on what a long period of time is? The reason why... <laughs> First of all, we're not choosing if it will be five or seven seconds. It depends on the algorithms. They're picking the, the most interesting moment, and then they don't show the actual highlights. They will show the shot that actually leads to the highlights without exposing or spoiling the users. Um, so um, we saw that, for example, today, if you're scrolling on your feed, on your mobile device, on Facebook or Instagram, the, the time that you have that specific um, thumbnail or the image on, the, on, your, on your mobile device, on your hand, in your hand, is around three seconds approximately. So the time that you have to grab the user attention with reading the title and catchy image is around three seconds. So what we do is we find something very interesting to drive his attention immediately to what he sees, but then we don't show the, the full, we're not spoiling the user. So if he decides that this is something interesting that he wants to see, he will click and redirect. Therefore, it's around five to seven seconds. So the, mo the time it takes us to our brain to actually understand what's happening in the in the shot or in the scene is two three seconds and then we don't want to spoiler the, the moment but we will redirect him to the actual page that's it um so and, and let me go to one other aspect of this which is and this is automated so how do the machines know what to pick that is interesting that's the actual that's the real thing that we're talking about here. The, these are the algorithms and all the secret sauce of the company. Um, we, what we do is, is we understand a couple things. We have different algorithms. Um, the algorithms are divided generally into two things. One is all the things that related to AI. So we're based on, we're analyzing the image we see that actually leads to a video so it's image processing leads to a video analysis and then audio and text analysis meta tags title 
um, that's one side. Then we understand from the past three years that we have collected all those videos from all the clients that we're working with. We analyze and um, deepening our understanding on those kinds of uh, short videos. And the other part is understanding in real time what the world thinks, writes, uh, reacts to those kinds of videos. So we understand natural user behavior and text. And if we see that video in different locations and mentioning them on different actions, so we know, for example, people wrote on the World Cup, you won't believe what an amazing goal Cristiano Ronaldo just made. And then we saw this specific thing on all kinds of platforms. So if you collect all this information, you know the video that appears on the World Cup and you know what people are reacting to, combining them together will help us to understand in real time uh, what is the peak moment. And then you need to understand how you can do the opposite, like creating the, the teaser and not spoiling the user. That's really interesting. It sounds like on some level you're allowing the fans of whatever it is, sports, movies, whatever it may be, to and, and sports obviously is happening in real time, so so you can you can kind of gauge this very quickly. But you're kind of allowing a crowdsourced to the machine to allow it to understand what people want to see, as opposed to the opposite view, which is we're going to capture all this and we're going to try to teach the computers ourselves how to find the right things. Exactly. That's the. Uh... The sweet spot of minutes. The you you and the best example happened to us in the World Cup, where the situation was like this: uh, there was an amazing goal, and those two players that were running on the field after the goal. But the actual interesting part when was when two people started to fight on the audience, <laughs> where. The focus wasn't there. The focus was not on the two players, but was on the people that are actually fighting. So that's the interesting part of Minute, that computer vision can tell you, yeah, there is an interesting goal. So detect the goals on the game. But what Minute brings into, the, in, into action is what actually happening, not only um, analyzing computer vision, but also reactions of how users are behaving, what they're doing. And then combining them, you can understand that there was A, something happened on the field, like the goal, but something a little bit more interesting happened behind the scenes or at the audience. So that's a good example of um, interesting crowdsourced technology versus pure computer vision analysis. I mean, and that's interesting because I've, we've talked to a lot of people that are into this field where they're capturing video and then they're using it for a variety of different means. And some of it's engagement and some of it is for coaching videos or whatever it may be to automate capturing the content for them for whatever use it may be. But when it comes to dissemination back to fans, I end up asking the same question over and over was how do you teach human instincts to an algorithm when the fans are accustomed to being shown the things that they want to see. And it's, it's an interesting approach that you guys have to this. And that's where we are. That's, that's what's so special about the things that we do. Um, 
that's the sauce. How how you understand from what the world thinks or does, what could be an interesting point of that video. You can do it for everything on your podcast, for example. When people will say something about your podcast, we can analyze this and see when I will say something very interesting or you'll say something very interesting, um, what people say about it, what they do when I say something interesting. It's an infinity loop. I can, <laughs> I can go around this issue again and again. So we could technically, because the part that was eye-opening to me was the crowdsourcing part. That's the reality of this, that you guys are allowing the world in some way to tell you what to find. And they're telling you what they want to see. And you could, through this podcast, essentially, if you, someone outside of this was saying that's what's interesting to them, that would allow you to help me extract the most important parts of this show? Yep, exactly. You're hired. <laughs> I don't know. We, yeah, it, 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 we don't have it, a it, uh, we don't we don't have a La Liga budget here at Future Sport though. I just want to warn you now. <laughs> we don't have that. That that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, but think about like when you were doing a podcast of one hour, but you want to grab the user's attention, so you have an abstract of our podcast and. And you don't want to spoiler everyone, you know, the, the abstract of the book on the, you know, the other side of the book when you have the abstract. So we do this. We can take that moment, tell your users, like, and I can now do it as we speak, but what Minute is basically doing, we're analyzing what people think and what they want to see, but without showing the spoiler. This is what we do. Now take this and make it your intro to to your podcast. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, listen. You already gave it away for free, so that part I'm taking. The rest we can talk about. <laughs> we talk about down the road. Um, let me ask you this, because because you guys are clearly um, you know, monitoring what people want, and the the level of broadcast of sports that is changing here, and how platforms are going to try to present sports um, as a whole. Um, how do you see what you guys are doing and what others are doing? How do you see the presentation of, of broadcasted sports changing over the next two, five, ten years? So obviously you can see things that are happening now. Um, it's much more, you know, highlights grab my attention on social networks because that's very hard to grab users' attention and to have their attention span into you know, a piece of content. So on social network, it's how you grab users' attention into short-form content. On on uh, something that is now growing, you know, everybody's talking about it, but the OTT platforms um, and all those new platforms that are now rising and more and more, like, uh, uh, the Golf, Golf TV that they have now, a dedicated OTT uh, application on, you know, um, on Apple TV. So there is more and more Netflix alike with uh, uh, niche content on this. So you can find your own stuff on your own TV screen at home. 
Um, and then we can, what we do is we tap into this new opportunity by adding Netflix, pre- Netflix previews on their content. So they can use minutes on the screen and they can use it also on their native app and mobile web. So we will help them to drive more engagement from different parts of, of devices into the content. And that's something that helps them to, to gain more engagement, to get more traction. And if we can help them to do it also on search, so they will be able to drive more organic traffic directly to their platform, to their O&O, that's something very interesting for them. All the things that related to, I think, mobile will be quick consumption, fast, something that you can grab, you know, on the way. But how do you connect between the, you know, those snacks into your OTT and the connection between them? So I saw the preview with minutes on my mobile device on the, on the push notification when I was on the go or forgot bitten driving. So I saw the preview. Don't read or watch videos when you drive. And then you click on something, and then it tells you, um, connect to my OTT and show me the full version when I'm uh, on my couch potato mode at home. So then you can see the preview during the day, and when you're going back after work, you will see it on your screen. So there's a lot of options that you can connect between things that you do along the day and then when you have time on the evening. All right, I'll let you go with this. Um, and, and since you're really monitoring this and, and you're following it so closely, what fans want, um, what do they want? What do they expect in terms of how they interact with, with teams and sports now? Punchline, give me like the, the essence. Don't, don't show me, you know, uh, baseball games are four hours. It's hard to watch four hours of game today. So they're looking the short form. They're looking for something that is much more catchy. And if there's all kinds of layers on top of this, um, like funny commentary or stuff that will help me to um, share fun stories about it. So there's all kinds of things that will help me to increase the engagement. But I think we're not watching like full versions anymore. We're creating, we had four hours of, you know, baseball game in the past or tennis that can be even longer for a couple of days or cricket that is even longer. And then there's a short form or game recaps, which is five, ten seconds, ten minutes. And then there's a shorter form with minutes that creates the preview to the short form. (laughs) So... You know, until we get like the, an image. Oh, that was the game. Four four hours of game is now an image, or you know, a GIF. That's it. It's amazing. Boy, times have um, changed. It's really amazing. Uh, Amit Golan is the CEO and the co-founder of Minute. Thank you so much, Amit. No problem. That will do it for us this week. As always, the future is now. This is the Future Sport Podcast. I'm Bram Weinstein. 